0: Hello everyone, welcome to yet another edition of Conversations at the Crossroads, our ongoing forum of two guys just taking a stroll together down the lane of racial equality and injustice and God knows what else we're looking to get into. I'm Alvin Washington, the gentleman you're going to hear in just a close as I fix my headset here is Benjamin Stanton. And
1: Alvin, good he- to talk with you. As always, glad to, glad to be part of this, and glad we could uh, chat about it all there's so so many things to cover within the the big the big umbrella of, of race uh, issues and, and racism. So
0: I'm glad to do it, and glad to be thawing out too. Good gravy, Navy. Yeah, a little bit. Uh, a <laughs> yeah. little bit. Well, I'm in Topeka, Believe. Kansas, and, yeah, our
1: our high today in Topeka, Kansas is about it's close to 70. So what? All right today.
0: Oh, and you know I'm hating. <laughs> you know I'm hating. I'm we can only get forty over here. Oh, you definitely know I'm hating. <laughs> uh, anywho. Come your way. Anywho. When we last left the program, we were getting into a two part series that Ben here wanted to explore called The Wonderful World of Historically Black Colleges and Universities. Well, we got into a little bit, you know, a little bit of the history of them, how they came to be, why they were formed, some of the great folks that came from them, all all that fun stuff. Well, now it's time to actually go on campus. What in the blue biscuit really goes on at an HBCU? Well, as one who is a legacy of parents that attended such institutions, in this case, Southern University at New Orleans with my mother, and Jackson State University went with my dad. The life at an HBCU is quite different from the, as they would say, traditional universities. Of course, you can have your academia. You always are going to have have academia because it's higher learning. Duh. But the life at an HBCU is very unique in the fact that everything – is truly geared toward the black student experience most notably is the greek life portion of the student experience and we had touched on this a little bit in introducing everybody to the divine nine those are the five nationally recognized fraternities and four nationally recognized sororities so, why are they such a big part of life at an h b c u ben have you ever ever heard of something called a step show
1: a step show yes, no, I have not well, wait
0: on me, let me introduce you to a step show. You're not gonna see this at an ohio at a place like Ohio State or Columbia or Princeton unless you have one of these nine recognized national Greek societies that are black-themed. A step show is basically steeped in lots of African-themed tribalism, for lack of a better term. These are basically nine tribes, per se, with Greek letters that perform on whatever place they can perform on in unison to let you know why they are who they are, whether it be Alpha Phi Alpha, Omega Psi Phi, Kappa Alpha Psi, Phi Beta Sigma, most recently Iota Phi Theta, or in the ladies' sense, Alpha Kappa Alpha, Delta Sigma Theta, Sigma Gamma Rho, and Zeta Phi Beta. Each is unique in its presentation to the student body. And these step shows not only showcase their uniformity, they're also used as opportunities to recruit students or in some cases, recruit potential students coming to the school. The better the step show, the better the opportunity to get more students. Some of the more well-heeled universities like we mentioned, Howard, Florida A&M, Southern Grambling. That's a pretty good step shows. The the smaller schools I don't don't let the smoke taste fool you. Some of them I got some pretty good step shows.
1: Well, you're gonna have to describe it for me because I can't picture it
0: yet. Okay, if you could if you could get the scene from School Days. School Days gives you a perfect casual look into what a step show actually is. Now, mind you, there are a couple of units that were brought in for artistic license, but Spike Lee, himself an HBCU grad and a recent Oscar winner, used school days to introduce everybody to life at HBCUs. And the step show was one of the biggest ways that HBCUs recruit students without having the administrators physically do it. The students themselves are the ones that are doing it. And these are well-rehearsed routines using almost military precision-like step drills. And again, it's kind of based on the organization that you're with. Alpha Phi Alpha, as as everybody has come to know, they they describe themselves as the men of distinction, or in some cases, Sphinx men, because their logo institutes the face of the Sphinx out of Egypt. So they pattern their, their stepping routines after that particular image. Omega Psi Phi is almost the... De facto ruler of step shows because their nickname is known as Q Dog. Why? Look at the letter Omega. It's sort of like the weirdest-looking Q you've ever seen because the bottom of the Q is kind of split up to go two ways. Mm -hmm. And as of late, thanks to one Mr. George Clinton and Parliament Funkadelic, but more, more importantly, George Clinton, Atomic Dog? has become the theme music for Omega Sci-Fi to the point where if you're out anywhere in the public and that track comes on, if you see some gentleman jump just all kinds of ways because he hears that song, more than likely that's a member of Omega Sci-Fi. It, I mean, it, to a person, they hear that song and they just go absolutely ballistic. Hmm. It, you know that's that's just in their nature. Cap- so help me help
1: help me see the scene, though, because I, I haven't seen School Days and I've not okay. seen these performances. What what are people wearing? How many people are we talking about at one time? Are they on a stage? Are they on the ground? Does it matter? I...
0: Really, it doesn't matter where, but more often than not, they are doing these performances where they would say on the yard. Uh, the, the quadrangler, as uh, sure. the vernacular would happen. And, of course, everybody's decked out in maybe letterman sweaters, letterman jackets, watching uh, these performances by these Greek organizations that are decked out in their colors. Uh, Alpha Phi Alpha, distinct black and old gold. Omega Psi Phi, they're purple and gold. Kappa Alpha Psi, is, they say crimson and cream is actually red and white. But the reason they say crimson and cream is because, and this is, this is an actual fact, Kappa Alpha Psi is the only uh, one of the recognized national black fraternities to have been founded at a so-called Power Five school, in this case, Indiana. Indiana's colors also happen to be red and white, so they adopted mm. them as such, and so on down the line. The most unique combination color scheme that I've seen yet has been Alpha Kappa Alpha. That's the eldest women uh, club, sorority per se. Pink and green. Now, I don't know how the heck you get pink and green on on a sweater, but they make it work, and they've been making it work since 1908. And I happen to know a few ladies that are AKAs and they truly wear their colors with pride. Now the ladies that Well this are- is something
1: I need to see. This is something I definitely need to see because i I, I went to went to college and went to uh, I was a member of a fraternity by Capita. Uh, But, you know, these are you're describing things, that, as you might imagine, we're not part of that experience. So um, that's it's fascinating to me and I would love to see it. I'll have to make a point.
0: Well, well, again, you're 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 talking about two totally different experiences. Most most fraternities and sororities at the so-called PWIs, predominantly white institutions, do not have something along the lines of what the black Greeks do. And this is why the, this is why the two worlds are so unique to each other. Of course, the, the PWI Greek uh, societies, they'll have some, some other things to attract the students to what they do. I should know, I, I had pledged beta phi pi, at one, beta theta pi, excuse me, at one time which is black and red. Uh, so I almost joined the fraternity that featured the late George Papard, the late Sam Walton, and the late Alan B. Shepard. Go figure. Um, but I have been c- recruited by black fraternities during during my collegiate days. So believe me, I, I've, I've seen step shows. I've actually hosted step shows. To really understand this, it, you have to kind of – Think of this as a talent show with well-conditioned militia-type units putting on their show. It's almost as if, let's say, if we were at the Tournament of Roses parade and you saw these nine units come through in marching units, you'll see Alpha Phi Alpha lead the parade, of course, They'll lead all the fraternities. Then Alpha Kappa Alpha will lead all the sororities. And again, these are these are well rehearsed. I mean, and then more often than not, they're undergraduate students that are putting on these shows. There's also the neophyte units, the probates, who are pledging those same units that also do their routines. And a lot of people come out to the probate portion of the step show because they want to see who are the new ones that are getting ready to, as the, the vernacular would have it, come online or cross the burning sands. And it is, again, it's a celebration of life on campus. It's a celebration of what it means to be a student at an HBCU. You should see these same folk at the football game, man. <laughs> yeah. Oh my goodness, they get crazy at the football game. Basketball game, not so much, but the football game. Oh yeah, definitely, definitely. Yeah, the football. Well,
1: game. I'm anxious to see. I'll, I'll have to. I'll have to do some some uh, some internet searching here and, and check it out. I have a question for you, I, and I know since our time's a little more limited today, I wanted to make sure I. As you, since you, you, know, you mentioned both your parents uh, were uh, uh, educated at HBCUs, so when you were growing up or maybe av- after you had grown up, what did they talk about with their experience? I mean, what, what did they tell you about that experience, if anything, that, that stands out to you?
0: Well, as we continue our discussion here of HBCUs here on Conversations at the Crossroads, he's Benjamin Stanton. I'm Alvin Washington, and if you want to you know, chime in on anything that we're talking about, uh, visit your, your favorite uh, podcast provider that you're hearing this on, and we're more than happy to uh, answer whatever questions you may have or, or concerns or what have you. But to answer your question, Ben, about, regarding uh, stories that I've heard from my parents in regards to their experiences at the, at an, at the HBCUs they attended, my father was a musician. Uh, a trumpeter growing up, uh, becoming a jazz trumpeter for a little bit before becoming a school teacher. And his experiences at Jackson State are quite unique in the fact that he was also in the marching band. So we got to see the football field. He got to see some of the uh, greats from the 1960s that came through Jackson State uh, So that he played for. And he also played against some of the top marching bands that are part of the HBCU experience. The FAMU Marching 100 comes to mind. He was a part of what they call the Sonic Boom of the South, the Jackson State Band. Uh, Howard's Band is also very popular. Hampton's Band is also very popular. Uh, Southern University's Band, uh, the Human Jukebox, is a very popular band. And kind of wherever you go, you know, you've your your band has a certain identity and that's also another big part of mm-hmm. the HBCU experience. Uh my mother having gone to sort of a, a a smaller commuter style HBCU in Southern at New Orleans, I'm quite sure she's seen the same things that I've been talking about take take away the band. But her experiences are a little bit more journalistic. She was a sophomore-level editor of her student newspaper, and, and sophomores never edit the newspaper at the school she went to. She got that experience in 1968. And she talks about this one incident in 1968. And Now, this is like right after Martin Luther King had got assassinated on April 4th. The Louisiana State Police, for whatever medulla oblongated reason, decided to come to Southern University of New Orleans and quarantine the newspaper office to the point where they, when they came in, they, they got everybody out and they destroyed all the archives of the Suno Observer. That's the name of the, the student paper that she worked at. They destroyed all those car archives and didn't why i mean i mean it bro the most dangerous position you could have outside of being civil rights leader in 1968 was newspaper editor of a black newspaper black owned newspaper be it i suppose uh, student or commercial yeah wow yeah it, it was like that because that's disturbing that's disturbing Understand the times that we're talking about here. This is 1968. This is literally the apex of the civil rights movement. This is right after Martin Luther King gets assassinated. Not too long before RFK gets assassinated. And because of the fact that African Americans were really into their newspapers, like The Defender, like... Um, the Pittsburgh Courier uh, and, and a few and a few others that, that, that don't come to mind right away uh, But these black owned newspapers And these black student newspapers Were literally the faces and the voices Of the people that just been, been, been fed up And say look we want our spot Equally, equally alongside everybody else and, of course, right. you have that, and you have white supremacy rearing its ugly head the way it did.
1: Case in point- did your mom ever talk about feeling, feeling like she was in danger?
0: She has. She has from time to time. Uh, but she, she, she relishes her experience as editor of, of the newspaper. As a matter of fact, I'm not sure if you've sure. seen on my profile picture on, on Facebook, every year, when mother's day comes up or when her birthday comes up i make it a point to put a picture of her in her suno letter woman sweater Hmm. and she has a totally different hairstyle then than she does now (laughs) but 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 (laughs) it, it goes to show you where i get my journalistic chops from from her and, I mean, she stands up there. She's got her glasses in her hand and whatnot. And her little uh, women's sweater, which I'm not sure she even still has. But it has her maiden name on it. And the, I believe the year that she is taking that picture, in this case it's 1968. But it's, it's, it's a picture that she is very proud of and, and I'm very proud of too, to have in my collection as well. Uh, but, but again, it's, it's the position that she had as editor was one of the most dangerous positions a black person could have in 1968.
1: Dangerous and important. And, you know, I, I was doing very important work and, you know, that's <laughs> good of her to have done that, you know, and to, so I wonder now, To I as we're going to, I know we're getting towards the end here, but um, uh, so. So we're in a different world now at, at these universities, right? Of course, you know, today is different than 1968 uh, in, in many ways uh, a, a better, but um, still so many issues, obviously. Otherwise, we wouldn't <laughs> be needing to have this conversation. So we, I think in the last show, we sort of hinted at it a little bit, but I really want to hear your uh, thoughts of, you know, to kind of tie all that we've talked about to what's happening now and so these universities and colleges what what's their role now what what is their role today
0: and and going forward well you see the products as of late that have come from hbcus that have permeated american life we now have our first major national office holder from the hbcus our current vice president kamala harris who is a Howard graduate and also a member of Alpha Kappa Alpha. If you saw the timelines on, on January 20th, literally every black woman coast-to-coast had a Facebook account showcased pearls and chucks, Chuck Taylor shoes. Mm-hmm. That is, seems to be the wardrobe of choice from time to time of our dear Madam Vice President. So they did so in her honor. There are other products that have popped up as of late, but, but one of the more interesting things that I've seen are those that are willing to step into HBCUs to help contribute to the continued success of them, most notably Dion Sanders. Now, he's not an HBCU grad. He's a Florida State grad. I would love to really know what attracted him to take the head coaching job of football at Jackson State. He just won his first mm. head coaching game this past Sunday when they walloped Edward Waters 53 to zip. He was presented the game ball by his players. Unfortunately, during the course of the game, and this is this is well publicized, somebody stole his stuff out of his locker. And he's still a bit peeled about that. But be that as it may, for somebody the stature of Deion Sanders to want to come to an HBCU and be a part of that experience goes to show you that HBCUs are not going anywhere. As a matter of fact, they are starting a a new movement that will see, I believe, the next generation of American leaders. And... In one particular case, American athletic prospects. There's a young man named McCur Maker who is a five-star prospect in basketball. Could have went anywhere in the country he went. He made it a point to say, I'm going to Howard University. And that has now started a movement of five-star athletes, and in some cases four-star athletes, to want to make the choice initially to come to HBCUs to try and make their profile on the athletic level a lot, a lot better. And it harkens back to a time when a coach like the late, great Eddie Robinson was producing similar-type athletes coming from the Grambling Football Program, Doug Williams being one of those. So HBCUs aren't going to go anywhere. It's Now it's come back to a cycle where they are now more prominent in the american way of life as as much as other universities and and they provide a very unique experience for a very unique type of student now mind you they don't discriminate trust me they don't discriminate they i mean they've recruited caucasians to fill up their baseball teams like you wouldn't believe but be that as it may they're unique position in higher education is one that is, that is definitely noted by the community. And because sure. the alumni of those same institutions make it a point to say, look, we have our universities that allow you to do the same thing at those other schools, but in a much friendlier environment. And that is why HBCUs are the way they are.
1: Well, I appreciate you running that down for me and and and, and exploring all that. It's there, it, it, just things that I, 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 again I think I mentioned at the outset. I, HBCU is a term I don't remember hearing until I was an adult in my twenties, probably, and uh, and I've just been learning more and more about them, and 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 hope they remain a robust part of you know, the fabric of our, our country, They're, they seem really
0: important. So thank you. Not a problem. As a matter of fact, if you get the opportunity, and I and I, I think this should be a, a nice day trip for you, swing over to Jefferson City, Missouri. Very well-known HBCU called Lincoln University. They are the longtime home of the Missouri State High School track meet and one of the more well-known state universities in mid-America that cater to HBCUs. I think you'll enjoy the trip down that way. Or if you want to head southward, there's also Langston University in Langston, Oklahoma.
1: Yeah, will do.
0: And that'll do it for this edition of Conversations at the Crossroads. He's Ben Stanton. I'm Alvin Washington. Again, if you'd like to respond to anything that we've said throughout the course of this series, uh, you have the opportunity right there at your favorite podcast uh, Provider to converse with us and commune with us. We'd love to hear from you. Till next time, take care, everyone.